Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. And today I brought my friend Jacqueline on because the other day we were talking about crushes. Ugh, crushes, they're so devastating. So, Jacqueline, I know that you are dying over there to review attachment and how this plays into crushes. So, let's start this conversation. So, attachment. We all know it's located within the limbic portion of our brain, right next to that physical threat response system. And those two systems are connected to our central nervous system. And our central nervous system is developed both in childhood as well as intergenerationally. And, you know, you've heard Mary and I talk about the attachment system how it gets developed on how regulated or dysregulated our parents are when they see us running in distress or in joy or whatever's going on in their lives. For example, if a parent is in high stress or chaos in their own life, it could lead more to a sense of disorganization because that sense of safety of what should be safe is no longer safe. Sometimes we get these stories where uh, parents are pretty good, not huge problems, not feeling super close to the parents, but there's no like heavy trauma. Why do I have these problems dating? I hear that story a lot, right? And so Mary and I wanted to talk about how attachment and our attachment ruptures play into these undeveloped parts of ourselves that we need to go back in and nurture. And through that, we get that earned secure attachment. So I'd like to start with like a little example of what that can look like. And I'm going to use I'm going to use myself. I didn't date that much in high school. I wasn't a nerd. I wasn't like a cool kid. I was just something in between. But like I, I didn't date that much. And at one point I dated this man who was like the high school vision of what I would have wanted for myself. Like he was super hot. He had a bunch of things in common with me, things that I really valued. And I was crazy about this guy. And ultimately he, I think he liked me, but he also had his own insecure attachment. And so ultimately it didn't work out. And as I was processing it in therapy, what had come up for me was that he was this kind of ideal high school figure. And it made me think about the side of me, that teenage girl who didn't have a lot of dating experience, who maybe wanted to date whatever version of the high school dream that was, got to relive that experience. Did you have any crushes in high school? Totally. But it was from a distance. Like, I wasn't part of any particular group. I never had that much self-esteem around dating. And it wasn't like I didn't have any self-esteem. It was just, I felt a little bit of the odd one out when I moved to the U.S. It was different when I was younger. I lived in the Philippines. And when I moved to the U.S., I experienced actually some bullying and ostracization. Like kids didn't really understand how I couldn't be Filipino. I lived in the Philippines. I couldn't, why wasn't I Filipino if I was from the Philippines? Like they didn't understand that you could live in and grow up in another place and not be of that ethnic origin. I went to a school where it was really cool to be a nerd. Like everybody was an overachiever and, and smart. And you studied. You, you, everybody did well in school. That's just what you did. And when I came to America, it was not that way in, in the school that I had gone to. 
And so it was just more like I was a bit of an outsider. So I did have some trauma around that, like not quite fitting in. And so the crushes I had, they were all from a distance. Like I would never share these things with these people. And in fact, I'll say that I actually had a deep fear of humiliation of one of these people finding something out and doing something horrible to me, like on Valentine's Day, like some like like a scene out of Carrie where all of a sudden I would be this one on display and somebody would do something horrible to me and cruel to me. I was like deeply afraid of that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, as an adult, I had also experienced a fair amount of like trauma and dating. I had some good relationships and then I had some trauma that kind of pulled me under. Even though I was receiving help, I hadn't received the help around the attachment style. That part. And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do, because when I realized that it changed everything for me. And so going back to this, these underdeveloped parts of ourselves, the part of me that because attachment style goes from our caregiver, our attachment with our primary caregivers to our attachment romantically. It also affects anything we have an attachment towards. It just is more prevalent, shy, and feels stronger to us around romantic partnership. And that side of me was kind of underdeveloped, right? Like it didn't hit these markers mm. that, you know, first love, first heartbreak, I kind of didn't get that. I had a great boyfriend in college, but it wasn't that like, you know, love and heartbreak was, it was, it was a different relationship. And like, yeah, like high school kind of drama. Exactly. Yeah. And I realized later, you know, my therapist at the time was like, how, how old is this part of you? I was like, eh, about 14, <laughs> you know, that 14 year old girl needed that experience and needed to learn what also didn't work for her. Like, to come into the wiseness of mm. adult of understanding, okay, maybe I can have some of these things, but here's what comes with it. Am I okay dealing with the whole package? Or right. do I need different? Like, what do I really need? And so part of that earned secure attachment is to look at when we have these maybe developmental traumas. It could have been something like my experience. Maybe it's something that happened with like other kids around us versus just, you know, our parents, for example, you know, our high school experiences or middle or elementary school experiences. Well, I mean, that also goes to show you just when you were saying we can grow up with our parents were OK. There wasn't any major trauma. And then the way that you're socialized in high school and how you were saying you were bullied, you weren't part of any type of group. And so I think that plays such a huge part and also holding on to that fantasy of like, oh, I want to date this kind of person. It's just kind of interesting. Where was the socialization around it with your friends? You know, my friends and I, we would talk about, but again, they were kind of in my same boat. Right. Like, that's what I mean. Like there was no like, oh, we're all dating guys on the water polo team or whatever that looked like. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I will say there were things in my family that kind of set the foundation for like less communication or if you, you know, put yourself out there in certain ways, like unless you're a thousand percent clear, like don't do it, like perfection, you know, like then there were there were things that were set up and it wasn't the only thing that led to it. But, you know, going back to our dating experiences and if you're somebody out there struggling with the insecurely attached part of yourself and I'll say like for me, my story was like running more anxious, right? Just looking for the person. 
If you have some of that, or it's the flip side, chances are you have some developmental parts of yourself that aren't fully healed. So how do we work with that? My first suggestion would be to ask yourself if you're feeling that yearning for a relationship or hurt by somebody whom you thought you really felt seen by or felt like kind of that aliveness in the world, you know, which is how I felt with that, that person. What, how old is that part of you? Mm. Is that adult you or is that a younger part of yourself? What does that younger part of yourself need? And also, what is she trying to tell you? Is it really that this person is great for you? Or is it more of a sense of, oh, maybe there's actually something in distress here. Maybe there's something wrong here, right? Or maybe I have another need and it looks like this person, but it's actually about something else. Probably most likely my tending to that brokenhearted part of myself, which still needs compassion. Well, I mean, I think that's so interesting, too, when you go back and just say, this is the 14-year-old part of me. So this 14-year-old part of me needs, is really craving certain things in a relationship. And then there's this fully realized adult who's reflecting on that relationship and saying, oh, there are all of these other things that are showing up in this relationship that don't quite work for me. And so... How do these two parts reconcile with each other, right? How does the adult part take care of that 14-year-old part who's so excited about this relationship and the adult part's like, well, there are all of these other things that we need to look at, right? And so I can imagine that certain people may just allow that 14-year-old to ignore the red flags and that's okay that those needs aren't being met. And so I'm just curious, like how does, how in your experience, when that adult part came online, the voice of reason, that's like, okay, there are all these other things that aren't working for me in this relationship. How did that part of you reconcile with your 14-year-old self? You know, honestly, I did EMDR around it of connecting to age 14 me and hearing what kind of messages she had to say, what kind of things she needed. And what surprised me in that was we could think age 14 is like only concerned with the emotional experience and like the hot person and, you know, where you fit in and all that. Many of us can relate to that. And some of us don't. And I always have a deep respect for those of you who are like, I didn't, I didn't need that kind of. So validating to I mean, it's so validating yeah. to date that type of person, right? It's that yeah. external validation. I'm like, ooh, I'm I can feel, finally feel good about myself. Yeah, I'm accepted and seen in the world. And, and again, I'm a middle child, right? Like there are deeper roots of like where that, that kind of like the foundation of that was set up. But through, you know, EMDR and tapping and uh, bilateral stimulation, which is uh, tapping in a right-left motion versus uh, simultaneously uh, sometimes I just do this casually on myself, like tapping in a left-right action, like the butterfly tap um, or next to my earlobes, left-right, left-right. Just connecting, I find that it connects me with the less logical part of myself and asking that 14-year-old girl what she has to say, what she needs. And what I actually found was she wasn't just looking for like wild and free, emotional, la, 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 like feeling seen. There was a part of her that didn't actually feel safe completely in the relationship. And to own that and to see that, like, when she would come up, that's the other thing I would ask her, like, 
to let me know, give me signs of like when she was kind of asking for my attention. And then I'd ask her what she would need. And I know this sounds weird for some of you out there who go like, oh, this is like, I don't know, kooky wooky. Right. It sounds so woo woo. So woo woo. But (laughs) in order to heal some of this stuff, we have to come at it in a different way. It's not all logical. Our experience on Earth is not all from a sense of logic. There are many things that many of us have experienced in life that make no sense at all. Right. We can all commit to there's more of what we don't know than what we do know. And I think many of us can say we've all had those moments at time where we connect to our deepest truths within ourselves, right? So building that trust in relationship with self, which is all of us have baby us, two-year-old selves, eight-year-old selves, 14-year-old selves, myself at 26, myself now at age 45, all of that exists within me, right? That is my experience living in the world. And so the more that I develop a healthy relationship with all those sides, I can bring myself into earn secure attachment by shooting for what, what is it that you need when even when I don't know, do you need this, Jacqueline? Nope, that's not working. Maybe it's this. Maybe I can't figure it out right now. Just like you can't always figure out why a baby is crying, but through the act of attunement and trying, efforting to meet the need. That is how we develop a secure attachment. It's not always getting the answer. It's through being attuned to what I'm experiencing in my body. So talking to yourself, asking yourself what this part of you needs can give you those answers, as well as tending to the part of myself that had a little bit of a broken heart, right? Like that part of myself that runs deep, that inner loneliness that was there from all these different little things that happened to me growing up, there is that part that's lonely. There is that part that goes, I need more and maybe a little more co-regulation, like connection with others in order for that sense of safety, because I got a little less of that. And so the more that I'm able to be in communication with that part of myself, the 14-year-old me then learns she needs something different in the world. She can be more like that wise self right? The intuitive self, the, the self that has the inner truth for her instead of just the reactionary, I, I need this one immediate thing to feel better. The deeper self-acceptance. Yeah. And I, I love that you're talking about self-acceptance because for me, it's also about having so much acceptance for what that 14-year-old part needed and desired and validating that for mm-hmm. her because that's okay. We do have these parts of ourselves that are like, that live in the fantasy of, oh, I want to date this type of person. Like this is the perfect ideal person for me. And that's okay to have those fantasies or those thoughts and those desires. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think just having that relationship with that part of yourself that lives in that space so that part knows that it's okay to live in that space. And also knowing that there are other things that you need too. Yes. You know, shifting gears a little bit to those of us who run a little more avoidant, who maybe some of you guys experience heartbreak, right? Or maybe you guys are less aware of when, and you say, no, in general, like, I feel like pretty good. Like I'm, I, 
you know, it didn't have too much stuff. In fact, I dated a lot in high school, maybe. But I don't know. I just, I lose interest. I don't know. I get apathetic. Your work is going to be to dig underneath the apathy. What is, what's, what's underneath the apathy? Or maybe even start with, what does the apathy have to say? And how old is that part of yourself? See what comes up. See what comes to the mind eye. Is it, is it age eight? You know, is it age 15? Ask yourself, what, what happened to me around that age? What, what went on? What was going on? Did I have a parent who was sick? Did, some, did I experience like some heartbreak? You know, we humans are so resilient. It's amazing the stuff we get through. And at the same time, we're so sensitive. And sometimes it just takes the tiniest thing, the straw that breaks the camel's back. But for those of us who run more avoidant, we don't clock it as heavy heartbreak because the numbness or that dissociation sets in and it's like, I'm fine. I just learned to handle life differently. Yeah. And it can show up as flitting from relationship to relationship. It can also show up as being abusive towards your mm -hmm. partners. Yeah. Heavy defense. What's mm -hmm. underneath what's underneath the abusive language or action? What what is that part of you protecting yourself from? And how old is that part? Yeah, it can also show up as, you know, the perfect relationship for me is seeing the person once during the week and then maybe once on the weekend and having a sleepover. And that works for me. That works for my really busy schedule. And so that's part of it too. Let me just bury myself in work so that I don't have to have a deeper relationship or a deeper connection with other people. I have my work friends. I connect and relate to people every day. So why do I need a relationship on top of that? Or a deeper relationship or somebody going to ask things of you, have quote unquote demands. That's how the avoidance feels. It's demanding. It's needy. Compartmentalizing. It can show up as, oh, I don't introduce the person that I'm dating to any of my friends or my family or anything like that. Yep. Yep. So when you notice those kinds of things, you can ask yourself questions of like, did I, did I learn behavior like this? Where did I learn to kind of be with a sense of superficiality is not quite the word I'm looking for, but like more surfacey kind of connections? Like, where did I learn that that was like the stress reliever? And where did I learn that depth was scary? Uh, if, if you don't resonate with that, Ask yourself how long you've been doing these actions, these routines. What age did they start? Did something, what happened at that age? Did something happen right before that kind of shift was something different before? How old were you when that happened? Yeah, and I think also looking around and also reflecting back on, you know, what were your social structures during that time? What were your friends doing? And also yeah. like, how are your friends now? Right. So wh what are your friends doing now? Are your friends also in these types of relationships where they just are too busy with other things to be in a relationship? I think it's really Im important to look at that. Or how are you with your friends now? Are you in friendships that feel more surface or are you in friendships that feel more deep? Yeah. All right. Are you looking for friendships that mm -hmm. feel soul satisfying? You know, mm -hmm. avoidance can have also, we're just going to have lots of friendships, be great party people, and the depth 
can be scarier for them or they can have depth in moments, but it's not a consistent depth, right? You know, I think if we're looking at gender stereotyping, even though we're moving towards a non-binary world, it's still important to look at what's the history, right? Because that's going to play into how we navigate and, you know, thinking about men, male versus female, regardless of sexual preference, because I actually think this still rings true. Because if you see, you know, part of with in certain, you know, in gay relationships, when a lesbian couple has a baby, for example, it can bring them closer together because the way they look at raising an infant and what that means as far as like family and expectations can be the same and can even grow. And for gay males, the expectation, right, of what relationships entail and uh, how to move away from that vulnerability and what vulnerability might equal humiliation oftentimes for males because it's with the same sex, it can be easier. But that doesn't mean the fear of vulnerability is not there. The expectations are the same. So I would ask you, I would, I would invite you to ask yourself of, is there something that I wish were more fulfilling in this relationship? Can I go a little deeper and do that in a way that makes me feel like uncomfortable growth, not toxic familiarity, not pushing myself to the point of overwhelm? In general, men historically have been socialized to stay away from feelings, right? Feelings equal danger, feelings equal humiliation, feelings equal weakness. And in fact, in a business world, I must survive. And yes, that's changing. It's still hard to integrate all of that, right? Like that's why a non-binary world can be more important, right? Because we get rid of these expectations, right? It becomes more of a sense of connection versus even thinking of things in these. Fluidity and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And women have been taught to relate to each other mainly relationally, right? So I need you to decrease my pain. I need to talk to you in order to process. Yet now we have this independent side of ourselves and now, but then we're still doing this other thing. So now we have just more jobs if we're in, you know, heterosexual relationships and we're looking for men to meet some of that, but they have their own struggles around how to, you know, connect those two sides. And so even if you're moving towards the non-binary is looking at where are these messages growing up? What ages did this this start to become a permeation in my brain? And even if I consciously don't connect to that, how are my relationships with other people? What do I seek out in a partner? Am I in the rebellious stage where I want someone totally outside the box? That's also reactionary and signifies to me developmental ruptures in some way. Because whether somebody's fitting into a box or not, it's not about that. It's about what works for you as an individual. And even just tuning into your nervous system and when you're making these choices, because when you were saying like, am I in my rebellious stage? I was thinking of a dysregulated nervous system. And I encourage people to continue to tune into their nervous system as they are navigating these dating challenges, right? And so, yeah, that's just what came up to me when you're talking about the rebellious part, because what's going on there? What is this rebellion about? And what type of partner do you choose when you are in this rebellious stage? And then how has that worked out for you in the past? And also as you're in the relationship with the person, what are the parts of you that you're giving up to be in this relationship? I love that. You know, tuning into the nervous system is a great way into figuring out 
am I responding from that survival response of anxiety or um, pushing away or even a sense of yearning, right? That's an anxious response in my eyes. I need this person. I yearn for this person or a person, right? Or total dissociation. What's happening in the body? And just, again, mm-hmm. going back to what do I need to regulate myself? Do I need to be with others? Do I need to explore my relationship on my own? Do I need to, you know, when you're looking for little ways to do that, that just strengthens that muscle without putting too much weight on it that creates injury, right? So it's like expanding in manageable yet uncomfortable doses. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. So if you have any questions, you can reach out to me at Mary B Therapy on Instagram or come visit me on my website, marybtherapy.com. And thanks for listening.